moving forward, that's that's the area that we're we're trying to trek into is decreasing diet culture, increasing body image resilience, and and just having a theme. My mantra has kind of become to give myself grace, and and so living with more compassion and more more hope for what is to come. Welcome to the Juggling the Chaos of Recovery podcast, where we focus on health and wellness and overcoming all types of addictions. You're in the right place if you're a mom, dad, sibling, or caregiver who has a loved one who is or was struggling with an eating disorder or any other kind of addiction. In a time where everything seems heavy, I'm here to bring you a very real yet lighthearted take on what the heck we're all supposed to do with our lives while we care for our loved ones who are struggling. One thing holds true throughout it all. You can't juggle the chaos without smiling, at least a little bit. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am your host, Moira Gorski. So glad that you are back here today. This is a, um, again, continues to be a podcast where I want to spread hope and stories of hope with others and, um, and as you know, I love connecting with, with other people. I love when people connect with me and say, and are on a very similar mission. And so the guest that I bring to you today um, is Alexis Smith. She is a young girl um, and yet um, wise because of um, the experience that she's had in this eating disorder world. And as she's come through her recovery, she is, um, she is helping others with, you know, just talk about mental health, talk about how to be resilient. And she started her own podcast called Every Ounce Podcast as well. So before I go any further, I just want to uh, welcome Alexis Smith today. And I'm really excited that we can um, have a conversation and just share together today. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Yes, thank you. I'm really uh, blessed to have you here. And um, again, uh, it doesn't It doesn't matter how old you are, young or old, uh, this um, addictions, um, eating disorders really impact everybody. And I just, um, I got a little chill when I said that, but I just, um, I got a message from a a mom in my my town just this last week. And uh, she reached out to me. She knows because I've shared my story of my daughter and um, on social, and uh, she's one of my clients in my wellness business. And she reached out and she told me, I could tell from her heart um, that she just took her daughter to the dietitian and her diet, mm. her, you know, and she is, um, and she's got an eating disorder and it's been going on during this. And she started struggling during the pandemic. And it's just, it just made, just made my heart break, but also just so mad. It's like, and you know, the, the, um, I don't know if you know this, the, um, the theme for this year's um, eating disorder awareness week, what is it? Not one more. You know, and I just sat down and I was, I was responding. I'm like, I'm so mad. Like one more, like one more has been taken, you know, or one more has been, you know, impacted. And I just, I love that message. Like, let's try to get the word out. So not one more child or person gets, you know, has an eating disorder. So, Mm. um, and she was 14, her daughter's 14. I say that because her daughter is so young as well. And I know with your story, you started struggling at 15. So let's start out with that. That's what we start out with is the story. Again, we don't talk about the down and dirty and all the things that might be triggering to others that are listening, but just how it began and really maybe some things you've learned, how it's bringing you forward to today. If you'd start there, Alexis. 
Yeah, I mean, I could talk about my story for for hours, um, depending on how much detail we want to go into. But I think starting out, it's good to know kind of the background is that I was raised in a very um, traditional family. I have a lot of I live with a lot of privilege. I was always very athletic growing up and I've always kind of had a very perfectionistic personality, especially through like my education. Going into junior high, that transition was fairly difficult for me. I started to deal with a lot of clinical depression that was going on, but at the time I didn't have the words to describe that. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what that was or what that looked like, and I didn't think that it was as serious as it was. And um, so I started dealing with a lot of perfectionistic, you know, anxiety and and some depression in in seventh grade, and then. Somehow things just kind of got better. That phase of life kind of was was in the past. And eighth grade was great. Ninth grade was was pretty dang great. And then um, I started to do some things that I wouldn't say were negative or um, irrational. They were completely healthy goals. And I started just to track what I ate um, in a notebook that I had, or like I had, I had a Fitbit at the time. And so just being aware of, of what was going into my body and how much I was exercising and things like this. And, and it started to just kind of spiral out of control. I was diagnosed at 15. I would say that it started maybe a year or, or two, even before that, when I was 13, 14, but I was formally diagnosed at 15, my, my sophomore year of high school with anorexia. I was um, admitted to Primary Children's Hospital here in Salt Lake, um, and they will always have a very special place in my heart for the care that they gave me. I was there for six days, and there I received an NG feeding tube that went um, up my nose and then down my throat and into my stomach. I had that feeding tube for the following four months until February 7th. So I was, I was diagnosed on October 9th. And then, um, that feeding tube was removed on, on February 7th of the, of the following year. My recovery team consisted of a pediatrician who formally diagnosed me as well as a specialized eating disorder therapist and a specialized eating disorder dietitian. So with the, with the three of them, I met weekly or, you know, bi-weekly with each of them and continued this process of recovery. And it was brutal. I mean, it was brutal. I'm not going to lie that that recovery took me several months, um, up to a year, which an eating disorder timeline is, is minuscule. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful for that, but it was, it was very serious for my physical well-being and I didn't I didn't recognize how serious that was and how how close I was to having permanent physical damage on my body or you know having it possibly even take my life and so I didn't realize how sick I was and mentally I didn't recognize how abnormal my thought processes were or how rational I had become and and how much of my personality had just been completely lost and so somewhere amidst that process I in recovery I also dealt with more depression even some idea of, of suicidal ideation somewhere along that scale and, and kind of went through that process of, of coping and recovery as well. And then after kind of overcoming this eating disorder portion of my mental health, I had to dive deeper and find out what was underlying this eating disorder and what was, what was the, the root cause of it and what was the continuation of it. And for me, that was 
that depression and perfectionism. Um, so, I mean, for different individuals, obviously that can look different. It could be trauma, it could be social anxiety. It could be, you know, whatever other mental things are going on or, or physical, you know, environmental factors are occurring in their lives. But I think that that's important to, to point out as well. And then after I kind of considered myself fully recovered, I went and I, I just couldn't get enough of advocacy. And so I started motivational speaking to youth groups I was 16 then, and then I uh, self-published a recovery workbook, started an Instagram account that I'm active on. I've done some coaching on the side with individuals in eating disorder recovery. I'm currently a, an undergraduate psychology student, and then I'll, I'll get a master's in mental health counseling, start my own practice, and and go down that route as well, um, and, and have just recently started my own podcast. So it's been quite the journey for me, and I absolutely love it. So that's kind of that that's that's my background yeah well that's great and uh it's uh i just i think you're cute as a button and uh, i think it's awesome <laughs> you know just because you said I, I love it it's awesome and you know those are words that often we do not hear when people are going through recovery and um and many times again as as you listeners may know if you've listened to a lot of my episodes there are some deep and dark days and i no doubt there were some dark days for you as well but the fact that you um have found this resilience to come through this and to uh better yourself um and so that you can help others i think is quite you know is quite admirable and i've um I forget what his name is now, but there was a particular gentleman who came and spoke at our local high school and he was a professional athlete and um, a drug addict and really lucky to be alive as he tells his story. But he said that part of the reason why he goes and continues to talk with others is to keep himself in recovery because that's part of his journey and perhaps that might be part of yours as well. But I think it's, um, again, I think it's great. And just parts of the story too, again, it's very, you know, it's just all too familiar, this perfectionism, this, um, however you stated it, it was like things that were somewhat normal that you started to do that really took a little bit of a turn or a, a roll down the hill, if you will. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, that, um, and, I, and again, I think that that's part of society, like, we're all like, tracking what we eat, tracking how many steps we walk and, you know, how much exercise we get and stuff like that. And, and albeit that can be okay and perhaps motivating so that we can stay on a healthy path. It, it tends to, it can also turn, turn to a place where it's not, you know, yeah. it's not good. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, like you said, that of course I experienced those dark days. I, you would have never imagined that I would be where I am, especially in such a short period of time. I was literally the poster child of an eating disorder. Like, and and my eating disorder took control of everything I was doing. It, you know, I couldn't feed myself anymore. I couldn't, I could barely walk. Like it, it was exhausting to just walk down the hallway at school or or just the I couldn't be alone because of of the mental state that I was in. I would, I would just, you know, come to tears with just having to eat another bite of dinner or having my, my parents turn on my night feeds. I mean, I had a full meal plan on top of my feeding tube and, and it, this was just an exhausting process. And, and as every once in a while, it'll really, really hit me again, how hard it was. And, and a lot of those times I will just sit and I'll just cry and I'll just cope. And I'll be like, I can, I, I remember 
I remember how hard those days were. And I, my tears have kind of changed. I don't cry anymore because of what I'm going through because I've overcame it. But, but I, I shed those tears and my, and my pillow is, is sometimes wet at night because I remember what it's like. And I remember that there are people going through that right now and, and my heart goes out to them. And, and I, I promise them that if I can make it, that they can make it. And it is, it is a brutal process, but it is one that is very, very worth it. Mm -hmm. And recovery will be harder before it gets better. That's, that's definitely one thing I've learned. It's not linear, (laughs) unfortunately. Uh, And, and I wish there was a better answer to, you know, to some magic cure for, for an eating disorder, but there's not. And, and it takes a lot, a lot of work. And so my, my praise goes out to those that are facing, facing recovery right now. I also think it's important to note that like everything that I did started out completely healthy, completely rationally. It was, it was what I was taught in school, honestly. Um, it's, it's what I saw around me. And I think that that's important that this diet culture that we're con- consumed with and that is seen as okay in our society is not okay. It's not okay to constantly track how many steps we're taking. That's not the purpose of life. It, it's not okay to see our bodies as an ornament to be viewed or something to be put on a shelf and looked at. That's not okay. It's not okay to count calories unless we, I don't know why you would have to count calories for a medical reason, but say there was some medical reason maybe that you had to know, so be it. But otherwise, that's not okay. And, and I think that that's important to, to recognize we need, we have so much further to come. We've come far. Um, we have as a community, as an eating disorder community, as a mental health community, the people that have come before me have done a lot, a lot of absolutely significant work, but we have a lot further to come. And I think that that's part of the mission that I would like to join. And, and I, I, I couldn't do it without my colleagues beside me. And so moving forward, that's, that's, the area that we're we're trying to trek into is decreasing diet culture, increasing body image resilience, and and just having a theme. My mantra has kind of become to give myself grace, and and so living with more compassion and more more hope for what is to come. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's beautiful, wonderful words. I mean, I couldn't agree with you uh, more. You know, I am a retired nurse. So, you know, if you're a diabetic, if you have, like, I know somebody that has to have, when she takes her medication at night, she has to have so many calories. She can't take it at an empty stomach. So there's certainly Mm. times that you have to monitor things for your health, but I'm in complete agreement. You know, again, I've in the wellness space now, as opposed to nursing. I mean, I talk about like, we need to get out there and move, right? We need to sleep well, we need to eat well, and we need to fill our mind with positive things. But it should be just, just get out and move. Don't be obsessive about like how many steps. And I think it's sometimes kind of interesting, like, oh my gosh, I went on a vacation and we went and walked all the the monuments and we walked the many steps. Great. Mm -hmm. But we shouldn't, we shouldn't base our worth on that, just like we shouldn't ba- base our worth on that number that's on the scale or really yep. the size that we're the size of the pants that we wear or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever we shouldn't. And that's again, that's the issue that we know with the diet culture is that we base our worth on those things. And um, I know you're just getting to know me, but, um, you know, I I mean, I've recovered from my own eating disorder. I 
you know, come through those body image issues. And I recently just this last weekend did a ballroom dance competition. And I got to tell you, it was, it has been a journey for me to, to go from like, I can speak to people and dress myself up and like walk in with confidence like that. But it's a whole different thing when I'm out on a dance floor, you know, just, just kind of to show the beauty off. Right. And, um, and I just love what you said. I, w- I wanted to say that because of give yourself grace, because I was so, I was really hard on myself. Like I did really good for my mm-hmm. first time out, but I was really hard on myself and people were like, just give yourself some grace. I mean, look at what you did. Like, look at the good stuff. And it doesn't matter that you weren't perfect, but you were, you were there. And I love that idea of just giving, giving ourselves grace and, you know, offering that grace, you know, grace to others. And just for those that, I mean, I know what that means Tube tube feeding. My daughter's had one several times and she might be going back in for another one soon, but, um, you know, people don't really understand that. And, um, you know, I was just walking with a girlfriend this morning and, you know, just for the listeners, in case they do, they were like, look, like, why would you, do you have to like have the tube feeding all the time? And again, I don't know if that's super important, but what I told her, I said, you know, as you're recovering from an eating disorder, you have to, you know, your diet, your uh, meal plan is, you know, pretty high and uh, with your exchanges or your calories or your food or whatever, but you can't like eat it all in a day. And so the tube feeding is um, supplementing that overnight. And that sounds like what you had with, because some people refuse to eat or they can't eat because of like issues with their esophagus or stomach, but it sounded like you were on a kind of a supplemental feed to get the extra calories and nutrition that you needed overnight. Yeah. So, so my feeding tube, like I said, was something that I chose. My options were kind of either you can insert and remove your feeding tube every morning and night, or you can live with it 24 seven. And I was like, is there another option? Because (laughs) I don't like either, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, the insertion of that feeding tube in the, Oh, that just sounded miserable. So I chose to just have my feeding tube constantly 24 seven. And so it was, it was constantly taped to my face across my, across my cheek. And, um, you know, this tape on my, on my face, right up against the lower part of my eye. And, and I would wear it everywhere I went. And, um, I mean, it was with me on Halloween. It was with me for Thanksgiving and Christmas morning. It was there for new year's Eve and new year's day every waking hour and night I had that feeding tube with me and um so yeah my night feeds were at night some individuals in eating disorder recovery will choose to do them during the day if there's a certain period of time that they you know can kind of sit down and do homework maybe and and have those those feeds going as well because when you're attached to a basically just a a medical pole next to your bed you can only turn so far when you sleep <laughs> and there's noises that it makes like a little chugging noise. And when it's done, it will beep. And, you know, so I, I typically got woken up multiple times a night to either adjust or turn it off or whatever it was. And so sleeping is just extremely uncomfortable. And, and if you have to go anywhere, like if you have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, I mean, that's the whole process of taking the pole with you to the bathroom. You know, it's just a whole mess that nobody ever thinks about. So yeah, that was kind of my situation as, as well, which seems similar to what you've experienced in, in the past. But I 
I kind of negotiated, I guess you could say with my, with my dietitian because they had me on this meal plan and, and I was refusing to eat my full meal plan. And yet I still had these night feeds. And so it made sense to me and it still makes sense to me now. And it made sense to her. So we kind of came to a conclusion that I would have this X amount of exchanges. And if I ate more food during the day, I would have less night feeds. If I didn't eat as much during the day, I would have more night feeds. And that made sense to me because I was like, why in the world in my eating disorder voice, why in the world would I eat more if I'm still going to have all the same night feed? You know what I mean? So I was just like, and, and that's what eating disorders do. I mean, they're going to play tricks and, and do whatever they want, have all these rules, have all these games. And so that in and of itself is just exhausting. But so it, it kind of motivated me to eat more during the day because it was more comfortable waking up in the morning and and having a full stomach of liquid is not comfortable physically or mentally when you have an eating disorder and I think that individuals don't recognize that like for me in my experience I was never hungry it took me a long time to feel hunger like we're talking months just to feel hungry. And when you're in this state, your, your metabolism skyrockets. So not only are you eating a lot for what seems like an eating disorder, you're eating a lot for what seems like a normal person. I was eating more than, you know, my grown father, you know, at a meal. And, and still my dietitian is saying, you got to eat more. You got to eat more. You got to eat more because I had to not only get back to this weight maintenance, I had this hyper metabolism where I was literally having night sweats in the middle of the night, you know, literally this is just skyrocketing. And, and so those night feeds tried to compensate for some of that. And, and as much as I hated my, my feeding tube at the time, I recognize now that it was absolutely mandatory for my recovery. And that because of my feeding tube, I was able to have a fuller recovery. If I wouldn't have had that, I would have taken so much longer to get my body in a place of of nutrition rather than malnutrition and and at least in my scenario and I think in in most other eating disorder cases is that you kind of have to fix the body before you can fix the brain because if your brain is malnourished and your body is malnourished you're not going to be able to rationalize your thought processes you're not going to be able to comprehend what is going on or to even be able to go through the cognitive work that it takes to overcome, you know, these, these situations that you're dealing with or, or the coping mechanisms that you've picked up on. So I think that that's also important to note, but yeah, feeding tube can be super complicated, super duper difficult, but also very helpful. Right. Yep. Yep. Not a whole lot I need to add to that because again, it's it's all really uh, really true. Um, I did want to because you had mentioned this, and someone also asked when I threw this word out the other day. They're like, "What does that mean?" So there's something called orthorexia, and I find that it's a pretty common place that I don't know. It seems like it's kind of like a I don't know. You can speak to it, but it seems like for me, from a mother looking in, um, it's it's still it's still a disorder. You know, and it's still like, oh, we think it's g- good, but um, but it's not. It's like it's a um, it's a dis- you know it, it's it's a form of disordered eating. And I think that a lot of I've seen that a lot of eating disorder people they kind of move to from anorexia or bulimia to orthorexia, and um, 
really, it's not, and it's, that's, that's like being the healthiest anorexic that you can be or whatever. So it sounds like you had some experience with that. And I just would love, you know, kind of your insight on that or how you've kind of moved past that, um, again, orthorexia of being like super, like super, super healthy, a super healthy eater, but that's not, I see that it, it doesn't really support recovery. So I'd love to hear your, your comments on that. Yeah, this is this is gonna put me on my soapbox. Um, <laughs> I thought you were, I thought you were already there. <laughs> you were just climbing up, right? Yep, one step higher. Here we go. Um, but yeah, orthorexia is something I am all too familiar with. It's important to note that it is not a recognized mental illness or a diagnosable eating disorder yet. Anyways, it's not in the DSM-5. I don't know when it will be or if it will be. So that's important to note as well. So for me, I was diagnosed with anorexia. Looking back, if orthorexia was a diagnosable mental illness, I think that's what I would have been diagnosed with. In my mind, there are some differences. The recovery looks very much the same, which is ultimately, I think, why it's not its own category. Um, But orthorexia is much more quantitative than qualitative when it comes to both eating and exercise and body image. So, I mean, for me, it was all about calories, weight, macros, miles I ran, you know, all of the numbers. That's what I needed. That's what I wanted. That's what fueled the fire for me. As well as it comes from a place of health. And one thing that I think is important to note is that being too concerned about your health is not healthy. And, and eventually it becomes the least healthy thing you could do. Um, because obviously if it landed me in a hospital bed, it was not a very healthy thing. And I think what's important is that this could happen to anyone. There was nothing special that I was experiencing that really caused this. I mean, sure. I had some underlying causes, but I think everybody does. I think, I mean, there's the perfect storm that happened you know, for my situation. And I, that could happen so often in other individuals' lives. And so I, I always come from a place of, of very, of warning and say, I, I mean, my friends and my family know that I'm not a fan of fitness trackers. I'm not a fan of diet culture in any sense, you know, um, that's something that I'm against. It doesn't work for me. And, and I've, I've learned that the hard way. Um, And so I always like to warn people, be so, so, so careful. Is it really worth it? No, it's not. And, And when you're becoming too obsessed with your health, it is so not healthy. Orthorexia is not only, like you said, in, in recovery, you can kind of lean towards that mentality as well. But like, for me, it kind of started with that. It started with this orthorexia and it started with those tendencies of simply, I want to be healthier. That was the goal I set for myself starting January 1st of 2017, the same year that I was diagnosed. And I didn't have what that really looked like in mind. It was just, no, you know, I've been taught that I should eat better, quote unquote, better, eat those quote unquote good foods. And and since I've learned, you know, so much better and I've learned intuitive eating and I've learned you know, all bodies are good bodies and that all foods are good foods. And, and I've learned about health at every size and that weight in, weight inclusivity. And there, I mean, there's so much that I could go off on, but it, it's just so, so important to educate, to educate ourselves, to educate our children. 
one thing that is super, super near and dear to my heart is, is education in, in schools, because without, if, if I wouldn't have received health education in a sense of let's track our calories, let's watch this super size me video in health class. Let's talk about what our weight is in gym class. You know, would I have ever experienced my eating disorder? I don't know. If I never would have had a Fitbit, if I never would have started, if I never would have had a scale in my home, would I have developed an eating disorder? Probably not. And I think if the, if there was education about intuitive eating, about eating disorder screenings, about prevention in schools, there would be so much more well-roundedness when it comes to actual health, and there would be so much better mental health in our youth. And that's kind of where it starts, is we're born intuitive eaters. We are born with these natural, innate mentalities towards food and exercise, and yet this diet culture and these things that come swarming at us, this whole industry, this billion dollar industry comes targeting us in our youth and in our adolescence. And that's when I think it changes. And then these individuals get stuck in that mentality for years to come and to no fault of their own, but it just happens. And, and they keep going and they think diets work and diets don't work. And they think that, you know, obsessive exercise is, is great when it's, not and continue down this path only to lead by both example and through words to a younger generation of what is not actually healthy. There's also a whole portion of this quote-unquote wellness culture that's starting to form, such as clean eating. Clean eating might sound so, I don't know, desirable, so great, when really is just another form of dieting. And I also think it's important, like for me, I never went on a formal diet. There was no, I never went keto, paleo, whatever, never did it. For me, it was just these food rules that society had created. And I think that's important to know as well. But also when it comes to orthorexia, I think that a lot of individuals kind of shy away from it because they're thinking, okay, these people are anti-health. They are pro, you know, they're against movement or, you know, nutrition or whatever it may be. And, and that's very much not the case. I believe in intuitive eating where there are no food rules. I believe in eating according to both hunger fullness, as well as including what sounds good, your satiety, as well as incorporating gentle nutrition, as well as incorporating what I call intuitive movement. And I think as far as exercise is concerned, focusing on aspects to, to that movement that is not concerned with weight loss. For example, I move my body because A, it feels good. B, I want to. C, it helps me get stronger. I sleep better at night. It helps me cope with my emotions. There's so many different reasons to exercise. And the last thing I will ever exercise for is weight loss. Mm -hmm. And, and that is the last reason to move your body. I, I just, I want to interject. I, I just, uh, I mean, I've had four children and um, I get that whole, like, I haven't had it, anybody say, oh, you know, we started out as intuitive eaters, but we really, 
we really have. And I was mm. with some um, people this weekend that had, um, you know, a daughter with them, a small daughter. And, you know, one of the days she's like, wasn't eating much. And I'm like, yeah, she hasn't really eaten much today. But I'm like, you know what? They all figure it out. And it's very true. You know, a, mm. a baby or a two-year-old, you put the food down and they just don't feel like eating it. But then the next day they can hardly get enough to eat, you know? And that's yeah. really, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, and they follow what their body feels like. And that's a good thing. And like you said, then we get into these early teen years and they start to hear these messages, not only from the media, from the magazines, from social media, but their, their mother who says, oh man, I need to go on a diet. And, or mm -hmm. I, you know, somebody mm -hmm. that I interviewed, they said their mom was always on a diet. And so it's that, and it's that body loathing and like, oh, we don't like our body and, and all that. And again, I've, I've been there. There's times that I'm just like, oh, I have to snap myself out of it and say, you look great or whatever. And I just even want to speak to that wellness, um, you know, the wellness movement, because again, I'm in that movement. Now I'm a nurse, you know, I have a bachelor's in nursing and I, and then I found, you know, um, this wellness, you know, because my son was really sick and some natural things really helped him. And so, but and as I've shared on some other podcasts, I've gone through quite an education myself on this whole thing. Like, is it, is this wellness or is this like obsession, you know? And I truly believe of the knowledge that I've gotten during the 21 years that I've been involved in this, this area, as well as my nursing knowledge, there is a place for better health, right? And there is a place for wellness and there is a place for, you know, again, this intuitive eating, this intuitive movement, this intuitive love and life and things like that. And just like the diet culture, it just gets... I don't know. It drives me mental. Sometimes when people say, well, I'm doing the, <laughs> I'm doing the keto or, I mean, I'm not, you know, I don't take that. I don't say that like, you know, mental, but you know, it's just like, it drives me crazy. It's like, oh, I'm doing paleo now. And now I'm doing keto. Now I'm doing blah, blah, blah. One, two, three. I'm like, what is that? Or macros. And I was like, oh, should I learn about macros? I'm like, no, we should just learn to, like you said, follow the, the cues and, um, and then give our body what it needs because it is going to, it's going to feel better and it's going to respond well. And again, I'm not saying that there isn't a place for, you know, again, those to help those that have high cholesterol or be on a heart, you know, this isn't about, hey, you have to be on a heart healthy diet. Yeah, you probably have to be on a heart healthy diet if you have, you know, issues with your heart and family history of heart disease and things like that. There is certainly a place for that. But you know, again, I like what you're saying because there is just too much of this forced type of like, do this because again, you're going to look good. You're going to feel good. And I don't know, I don't know exactly how to say it, but there is that line that just continues to be crossed. It's like, and then I try and I've learned a lot from, and I've had to change the way that I talk to people as I help them with their health and their wellness. It's like, I'm not about deprivation. I'm not about over, you know, over exercising. I'm not about that. I'm about let's fill ourselves up with all the good stuff, be it again, good words, good food, good movement, good friends, good love, all of that, all yeah. of that stuff. And yeah. you know, just even, you know, you said that's a billion dollar industry or whatever. I mean, that diet industry, if the diets worked, <laughs> it wouldn't be such a industry <laughs> that every year there's yeah. more and more commercials because they don't work. They don't work. Exactly. Here's what you're saying, intuitive eating and just following those cues, if you will, that's the stuff that works. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, going back to like what we talked about intuitive eaters, like we're born, we're born intuitive eaters. If you sit a bunch of little kiddos down and you, you give them all the same size, you know, portions and, and the same food, you know, some of them will eat it all. Some of them will eat very little. Some of them, they will leave certain things on their plate. They will ask for more. They know exactly what to do with that food. Some of them will eat the chocolate and the strawberries. Some of them will eat the green beans and, you know, the casserole, whatever it is. They, they know what tastes good to them. They know what sounds good. They know when they're hungry. They know when they're full. They know when they just want a treat. And that's fine. You don't necessarily always have to be hungry in order to eat. Um, and I think that that's important as well, that intuitive eating isn't necessarily just this hunger fullness diet. There are so many principles to intuitive eating and even like challenging the food police, rejecting the diet mentality. I mean, all of these different things. And when it comes to dieting, like you said, dieting, I just did a, a, a post on Instagram and a video about dieting through the decades. There has been, I mean, even back in the day, like the cigarette diet, the sleep diet, the citrus diet, Atkins, intermittent fasting, you know, there's, there was a, a cabbage soup diet. There's, you know, Weight Watchers. And now Noom is the new, uh, I know. Thing. don't even get me started on Noom. They contradict <laughs> themselves. And that's what drives me crazy. I'm like, if it, if you're going to go with the slogan, the millennial diet, you can't then turn around and say that Noom is not a diet. I, I just don't understand Noom. But anyway, yeah. I mean, there's just whole 30. And if dieting worked, there wouldn't be a new diet for us to promote mm. every single year. And I think that that's what it's, it's so important to recognize. Well, like, yeah. And oh I my think, goodness. I think in, and I think the importance of things that I've seen too is that people don't, like people get get busy and they don't really know how to cook and they don't know what to eat. And I think if we do more education on, hey, these are, this is how you can make a simple meal for your family, you know, your family of four or for yourself. And, um, you know, and just do more education. That's what I try to do in my wellness business is let's just educate people on um, how to make a simple, because people don't know. And so then they grab something or they don't eat, or again, they listen to something and, oh, I got to do this because this celebrity is doing this or whatever. Mm. We just need to do more education on, like, I mean, I grew up next to my mom in the kitchen and I, you know, and I know that you could do, um, you know, shortening sugar eggs when you make cookies. I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the, that's what you do first, you know, because I knew how to make chocolate chip cookies from little, you know, and that's how you add things in. And, and, um, and that's how I learned to cook and, and bake is with my mom. Cause my mom was privileged to be able to be at home with us kids and raising them. And I just marvel at some moms and my friends are like, well, I don't really cook. I'm like, what do you mean you don't cook? Like, how do you eat, you know, if you don't cook? I just, again, I, that's another podcast episode, whatever. But I feel like we <laughs> we should really do more education on, again, if you want to call it healthy eating, but how would, how to just cook? How do we, baking 101, cooking 101, how to make soups, how to make salads, how to make something other than, you know, spaghetti every night. I have a friend um, and that's a gal that's on my team, on my mission, you know, on the team of, uh, of wellness. And that's all she knew how to cook was spaghetti. And yeah. now, you know, she's, she's branched out. And one more thing, before I forget this, you mentioned like education too. Like we educate our children in the school system. Um, well, they took it out of our system. That's another, but 
we were for many years, um, the DARE program, which is, you know, the drug education. And they had people come in who had recovered from being drug addicts and, you know, a cocaine baby and things like that. And we educate the kids on that and say, this is dangerous. And so don't do this. And I love what you said. We need to do more of that, like educate our kids and bring the parents in too, to educate on like, these are some mental health issues that could happen too. So let's educate Let's give us, I was just going to record a, a solo podcast because a mom asked me that the other day, like, what are some of the signs? Like, what should I be looking for? Like, that's mm. what we should be educating on. Like signs of that somebody's doing drugs, signs that somebody perhaps might have some mental health issues, maybe yeah. has an eating disorder and stuff like that. I think we need to do more of that in the school systems as well so that we're just more informed. Mm, for you know? sure. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it gets... It can, it can be, I think recovery can be super complex. And, and I mean, for those parents or, or individuals that are going through recovery and, and sometimes I wonder <laughs> sometimes if my, my recovery was harder on me or harder for my mom, because there's only so much that she could do, you know, and I would just sit there and cry and scream and whatnot. And, and so I, my heart goes out to those, those sweet mamas and those, those guardians or parents or loved ones that are helping somebody recover from an eating disorder. And it can be exhausting um, for the yep. caretaker, you know, and you just feel like you got to incorporate tough love, but then there's a combination of maybe I'm not being va validating enough, you know, where is this happy medium? I don't want to, I want to do what's best, but I don't want to be rude. Like, it's just, it gets so crazy. Yes. Yes. And, and for the individual that's struggling, oh my goodness, I have firsthand experience with that. Like you better believe it. And, and so recovery can be so complicated. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like there was, um, cause I know that there's lots of different, you know, uh, books to read or videos to watch or like, do you feel like there was, or, you know, again, I talk about things to put in your tool belt um, mm. in life. Do you feel like there was a couple of those things that are that are kind of like your go to that that keep you or really educated you or really helped you during your journey besides this nutrition piece of it? Oh, 100 percent. So whoever's listening, get out your notebook. You know, here, here, you, here comes the list of resources. First of all, I have a great collection of resources kind of compiled into different portions of my, my Instagram account. And you can find me at every ounce dot of strength on Instagram. So that's a great spot to go where I have just kind of, um, added a bunch of different resources together that I kind of keep in my tool belt. Some of the big ones are, first of all, the national eating disorder association has a great screening tool. They have great advocacy events, great information from them. Intuitive Eating is also another great book. I would also recommend Health at Every Size and Body Respect from Lindo Bacon. For all things body image, I refer to at Beauty Redefined. Their names are Lexi and Lindsay Kite. They just came out with a book called More Than a Body. There's also some great podcasts called Food Psych by Christy Harrison. She wrote a book called Anti-Diet. One of my go-to for all well-rounded mental health is Tiffany Rowe on Instagram. I mean, I could go on and on and on, but so many great resources and, and they're out there. You just have to find them. And sometimes it, it takes a while to find, find good ones. And so definitely check out some of those resources. And once you find some, you'll, you'll be connected to others. I mean, even like Meg Boggs has a book called fitness for everybody. And I mean, 
right now I have books laying around, you know, of just stories and memoirs and, you know, whatnot. And so there's a bunch of different resources, but, and, and honestly, some of the best place to go is, is straight to the source. So Mm -hmm. definitely I can't, I can't put it any better than, than some of those authors Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, counselors have put it. So, I mean, go, go right to them. Right. Yeah. I've, um, yeah, I've noticed that too, is that I reach out to some one person and then I see who they're connected to. And yeah, it just goes mm-hmm. on and on. Mm-hmm. And those are some great things um, and resources that I know of, some new ones for me, for sure, that I'm going to look into because um, I'm working with a gal who's a um, like an image consultant, a clothing designer, and we've just had a great connection. And um, we're going to be doing uh, like a, some court, we're developing a course and a webinar for mothers and daughters. And we're going to mm-hmm. talk about just holding space for our bodies, holding space for our mistakes. Um, we're going to do a lot of this work on kind of body image. Cause she found that as she was doing clothing design and then, you know, image consulting and working with women, like so many people are disappointed with their body. And like, and as she was counseling them, they were saying, would you talk to my daughter? And as she got connected with me and we were talking and sharing ideas, I'm like, let's get together and let's do some, again, let's have this space so that the moms and daughters can get together and talk and we can kind of work through some of these things. So I'm glad for some of those resources that I think will help me with those courses. Um, Again, you are certainly wise beyond your your years, Lexi. I really um, appreciate all this. And again, I can I can feel that fire within you. And I just think that that's wonderful because that's we need more people like you in the world that can go out and fight for something different and fight for a better and a different tomorrow for, you know, for everyone. And, you know, b- before we close today, you know, I you mentioned something earlier about your your pillow is wet with tears from um not just for yourself, but for those struggling. And uh, I remember the day that, uh, you know, I called my my girlfriend and said, would you let me talk to your daughter? Because she was struggling. And uh, it was the first time that I really came public, if you will, um, about my eating disorder. And one of my sons said after that, he goes, well, I didn't know you had an eating disorder. And I said, well, I didn't feel like there was, like, I, I'm, I wasn't done with it. I've learned over the years that I wasn't exactly done. What I was pretty, I was way past it. But I said, you know what? I still remember that day. I said, you know, I felt like I needed to, I needed to connect with her and say, I understand Mm -hmm. because those days are dark Mm -hmm. and it's an awful place to be, but to be able to share that hope and say, but you know what? There is hope on the other side. And I, you know, shed a tear now for that. I, I, I just, and again, I, um, I admire you for what you're doing because that's, we share that so that we can help someone else. And I made a second phone call when it was my niece that was struggling and she still, and she was on the podcast too. And she remembers that day because she was out with her mother, my sister, you know, shopping. And I said, let me talk to her. You know, we share that and we shed a tear for those that are struggling because we've struggled there and we've come through. And so again, I admire you for that. Um, And just again, encourage people to, that's why I have this pod part of the reason why I have this podcast to help people find their voice, because we, I know that if we can share our voice and share our stories, then we, and if we can just help one or two people just have a better tomorrow than today, then I think we're doing good stuff. So, yeah. um, you know, any last words again, you, we can find you on Instagram. You said every ounce of strength, right? Yes. On every ounce dot of strength. Mm-hmm. Every dot of strength. And then, um, every ounce podcast, um, 
and um and that's where you can find again alexis smith all this will be in the um the show notes as well but any like last words you want to leave the listeners here as we wrap up yeah my my kind of nugget of knowledge takeaway is always that trust me when i tell you that recovery is worth it and and trust me that i promise that not only is recovery real but that full recovery is real some people will tell you that it'll always be there it'll always be in the back of your mind it's something you'll struggle with for the rest of your life and um i have to beg to differ because i'm standing living proof that that is not the case that i have overcome and i have fully overcome and that i live the rest of my life in a place of advocacy and and compassion and and i understand exactly what you're going through and and i promise i understand more than you know Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you, I mean, if you really want to go look into my story, I, I promise you, you will find comparisons between you and I, and, um, it is hard. It is hard, but I promise you that if you fight with every single ounce of strength that you have day after day after day, that it will be worth it. And so that's, that's what I kind of just have to have to leave with listeners. Yeah, and, and thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it your time yeah. and, and having me on. You are very welcome. Yeah. I, again, I'm grateful to connect with you. Um, grateful connect, uh, so that again, we can share all of this and again, keep going. I'm sure we will continue to be connected as, um, yes. um, as I continue on this journey too. And, um, I was just asked recently to talk on a panel at our, one of our local colleges about eating disorders. And, um, again, I just, we just need to stick together and keep doing this great noble work so that we can help. um, And just again, have that not one more, not one more, you know, person to be um, affected by this because as people here on this podcast, and as I finish up today, we all deserve to to live a great life, you know, a great life that God gave us and that we really, and, and it's possible. I agree with you. Recovery is possible. Um, It's never too late to pay attention to yourself and um, give yourself what you need with again, what this world offers. So thanks again, Lexi. I appreciate your time today. Um, Thank you listeners for listening. And again, continue to share these out because again, we need to continue to get the the stories out, the word out so that we can um, continue to offer people hope. So keep coming back and listening. Appreciate it. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, head over to iTunes and leave me a five-star review. Share it with others and make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a thing. I've got a tribe over on Facebook, so head over there and search for Juggling the Chaos of Recovery Podcast Tribe. And do you know somebody who has a story, a story to share, a story of recovery and hope? Please let me know as I'd love to feature them as a guest on one of these next upcoming podcasts. And perhaps you're looking for a community of like-minded, collaborative, and supportive people who cheer each other on as we strive to improve our lives. If that sounds like something you've been looking for, schedule some time with me. You'll find the links in the show notes. Let's talk and let me help you find your way. And I'm here to tell you that you're worth it.